Hi, listeners. I'd like to take a break from the story to address a couple of readers' questions or comments on the story thus far. One question that came up fairly often was, Why isn't Martin armed? That's just dumb. Those readers would usually add something like, I never go anywhere without my 357, or I pack my Glock with me every day. I have to assume that those readers live in states that are still friendly to the Second Amendment. Massachusetts is not one of those states. While Martin lives in New Hampshire, where gun ownership carries no evil stigma, he works in Massachusetts, where guns are the very embodiment of evil. New Hampshire is a shall-issue state, meaning that the local police chiefs are obligated to issue a citizen a permit unless they have a really good reason not to, something like a felony conviction. There is no gun ownership license or registration in New Hampshire. As long as you passed a background check, you could own a gun. It's a pretty free state that way when it comes to private citizens owning guns. Massachusetts, on the other hand, is a may-issue state, meaning that they might, maybe, issue a license if they feel like it. Often enough, local police chiefs do not feel like it. They're not obligated to issue permits. In most cases, the applicant has to jump through many hoops to convince the local authorities that they have a very compelling reason to carry a firearm. The attitude of Massachusetts police chiefs trends toward the notion that ordinary people really shouldn't have guns anyhow. Protection of life and property should be handled only by the professionals, themselves, the police. Also, there is no reciprocity between the two states. A New Hampshire resident legally carrying his firearm according to New Hampshire laws becomes a criminal as soon as he crosses the Massachusetts line. But what about the Walsh brothers, you ask? They had guns. True, and they also ran the risk. Paradoxically, Massachusetts is not a duty-to-inform state. That means that if the Walsh brothers were stopped by Massachusetts police, they had no duty to declare that they had hidden weapons in their truck. Now, if the police were searching their truck for some other reason and discovered those unlicensed, in Massachusetts, weapons, the Walsh brothers would have been in big trouble. There's an 18-month mandatory sentence for conviction for carrying an unlicensed firearm. Storing one of those guns in his office, just in case he had to walk home, would run just as big a risk. Such a potential for big trouble would seem especially not worth taking if you thought the prospect of having to walk home after a grid collapse was really remote. That is the longish and somewhat technical answer to why Martin is not carrying a gun. Another frequent question has been, what's up with Susan? With variations like, how can anyone be that clueless or helpless or afraid of guns, etc.? Well, there are a couple of reasons why the Susan character is the way she is in Book One. One reason is that her character grows through the series, not to get too much into spoilers, but later in the series she becomes much more confident, self-reliant, and even somewhat of a leader. To make that transformation more dramatic, she kind of had to start out on the green and clueless side. A second reason the Susan character is the way she is is that part of her is modeled after actual people I used to work with in Boston. Collectively, they were kind of like that. 
To start with Susan's apprehension about guns, she was modeled after some of the people that I'd known who were longtime Massachusetts residents. They seemed to have drunk deeply from the mainstream media's punch bowl of Kool-Aid. Whatever MSNBC said was the unquestioned truth. This includes the mainstream's demonization of guns. Some of those mass residents responded to the demonization with self-righteous indignation that how dare anyone soil their universe with such unclean things. Others responded to the media's demonization with fear. The scary black things were demons, after all. Aren't you supposed to be afraid? As much as my younger co-workers ever spoke of guns, if they dared speak of them at all, they spoke as if they were the savage tools of crazed barbarians or mass murderers. No sane, civilized person would have anything to do with guns. Indeed, to admit to one of these long-time Kool-Aid drinkers that you even owned a gun was tantamount to confessing that you were an insane, uncivilized, crazed barbarian. There was no gray area in the woke narrative wherein you might be sane and still own a gun. These same young urban professionals had a very specialized and limited experience base when it came to survival. For instance, they generally didn't cook. They couldn't understand why anyone would bother cooking meals. With so many different restaurants within walking distance or a tea stop or two away, there was, in their minds, no good reason to spend any of their valuable evening hours cooking. They had a busy social schedule to attend to. Having little food in their apartments was normal. A few microwave dinners in the freezer were there just for those lazy evenings when they just didn't feel like going out to eat. These urbanites didn't think of themselves as clueless. They knew all that they thought was important to know, like which buses were expresses versus locals, which Green Line trains went to Boston College versus Fenway, when not to walk through the theater district. Which shops had the best bagels, or the most esoteric artisanal cheeses? You know, the really important stuff that a city person needs to know. What they knew about things outside of the city came mostly from movies and TV shows. So, the New York City or Hollywood reality was their reality. Animals were both cute and cuddly, but also filthy, disease-ridden, and dangerous. Hunting was barbaric. Animals as food was a theoretical notion and very little thought of. A friend of mine, who grew up as a kid on a dairy farm, described having one of his city friends over for a sleepover. In the morning, his mom served fresh milk from their cows. The city friend declared that, oh no, they don't drink cow's milk. They drink milk from the store. One of my young co-workers could only eat chicken or beef, and even then, only if ground finely so that it was apparent only if ground finely, so that it was not apparent that it had ever been part of an animal. They were way overthinking things. So, back to the story. One reason Susan is the way she is, is that I thought it would be interesting to have one of these city people be thrust into a survival situation where none of their previous expertise was of any use. Having her as a single woman, with some quirks, while Martin was faithfully married, provided some tension. Before the grid collapsed, they were both just shallow acquaintances. Now, forced together, they're sharing a momentous experience. In such tumult, a relationship of some kind was inescapable, even if neither of them was seeking one. Ah, but that's enough author notes for now. 
If you have any questions or comments about the story, feel free to email them to mick at mick-roland.com. That's M-I-C at M-I-C-R-O-L-A-N-D dot com. Up next week is Chapter 7. Thanks for listening. <laughs>